Good evening, all Netherlands fans and all non-Netherlands fans. This is the Total Fool Ball podcast, and we are going this week without our famed leader, Alex Level. And what a wonderful week it is without him. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that right, Neil? It absolutely is. Uh, delighted to be here. Just the two of us. Dad is gone. We can do whatever we want. Not going to follow the usual format. That's no true. Stop us. That's true. Today, we are not doing the player of the week. We are not doing anything for the Eredivisie, actually. We are focusing solely on the Netherlands national team and the international Euro qualifiers. And maybe the odd match outside of Europe. But we try to make things solely about the Netherlands and the Eredivisie here. So, um, Neil, I know that... Let's see here. We've got Netherlands playing France tomorrow. That's a huge match for them, and they're second in the group. What do you, what do you think is going to go on with them in that one? That's a really tough game, and it's it's really tough to say. Uh, France are a very good side. They won the first fixture 4-0 earlier on in the group. Um, I think the Netherlands have developed a little bit since then, and Ronald Koeman has got to grips with his squad and his players, and They've seen some improvements, but it's a very good French team, and the Netherlands have an awful lot of players missing, as we were just looking at before before we started recording here. So mm. it's going to be very difficult for the Netherlands to to take really anything from this first game. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, did did you have any thoughts of any players they might miss in particular, um, other than the main ones like Frankie de Jong? And um, delete, and is that how you say it, delete? <laughs> I mean, I'm not Dutch. Too. I don't know either. <laughs> I, I always question myself because one of us will say something, and I'm like, oh, "Is he saying it right?" And I've been saying it wrong. It's like Chevy Simmons, Simons, yeah. Simons. Yeah, I've heard now. But we try our best here on yeah. total fool ball. And if we look fools playing the part, then we're doing our best. Let's just call um, him Matthijs. <laughs> yeah. And I think they'll also miss Gakpo a lot. Gakpo is really kind of a creative outlet for them. And while Frankie de Jong really runs that team, much like he does Barcelona, um, the creative outlets as far as the attacking third really go through Gakpo and occasionally through Memphis Memphis Depay. But Depay is streaky, mercurial, whatever word you want to use for it, Um, kind of whenever he's in the mood. Probably both those words. (laughs) But yeah, I also see it's going to be very difficult because France as a team is has a significant amount of depth to them. Um, I think the Netherlands kind of pales in that comparison, even though the Netherlands has a lot of very good players. Um, France is just built with one to two teams of extremely good quality that you could change out at any point in time. Though I will say for the French players in particular, um, not all of them have been shining spots in their respective campaigns. Um, let's say, like, you know, obviously the talisman, Kylian Mbappe, has been having not as great of a season. He's still banging in the goals, but, I mean, PSG doesn't look nearly as comfortable now as they did before. And then Usman Dembele, who moved there recently, doesn't look that good either, even as he left my beloved Barcelona in a wonderful fashion that I will not speak of in the future. Um <laughs> He has not been showing the form that he was showing under Xavi. And 
Um, I think Antoine Griezmann has had an, a decent start to the season, but Atletico as a whole has kind of followed those footsteps. He um, had a great game against Feyenoord. Alex he isn't here to have to suffer through this, but a couple, yeah. of, a couple of really <laughs> nice moments against them. That overhead kick was just so so smart, so so quick. Oh, especially from the angle that it was at, it didn't even look like he could even do it from that angle. Like he almost sat down to do the overhead kick. It was a really great goal. Um, but do yeah, think this, do you think this France side is the type though that might set aside their their kind of um, individual club performances and maybe come together. Well, it wouldn't be the French if there wasn't some drama. Um, <laughs> they're very good when they're when they're on form, and I think the main issue for them is if they can separate their club form from their national team form, which I think some of the players have difficulty at times. Um, Paul, but, Pog, Paul Pogba always loved to show up in a French shirt and not, not do it domestically, but maybe yeah. uh, maybe there was some secret potion he was he was using to do that. Did you see the report that they're going to be checking all of his uh, um, his wife's like creams and like <laughs> no. and stuff too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those who don't no. know, Paul Pogba was recently discovered having taken some. Uh, let's just say some enhancements mm-hmm. um, to up his game because he's been so injury prone lately. I think he was trying to rush back, but I don't think he was ever going to come back. Uh, as no. yeah, it, I don't, I think his career is pretty much done and dusted. I think even the move to the Saudi league might not even be on the cards. So it's pretty rough for him right now. Graham Sunis will be happy. <laughs> Yeah, he really didn't like him, did he? No, no. <laughs> the, uh, <clears throat> but there, there could be a good chance for some of the, some of the Dutch players to step up. Um, yeah. With with some of the key figures missing, and we kind of mentioned Chevy Simmons, Simons, Simons in passing, and uh, and he's had a nice start to the season, and maybe it could be a chance for him to shine a little, a little brighter, um, take a yeah. little more responsibility. And I thought it was really cool as well. One of the goalkeepers, let me get his name right. I think it's Nick Olai, um, the Sparta Rotterdam goalkeeper. Uh, he he got a call up, and I've kind of liked what I've seen of him this season. He also, at the weekend, um, PSV obviously kind of took care of Sparta Rotterdam, but he made some good saves, including a free kick, and I forget who struck the free kick for PSV, but it was it was heading for the top corner, and he kind of it was a great. Safe for the cameras. He, pretty he, sure, he, I'm pretty he, sure it was Veerman. Um, but yeah, it was he. He kept Spider Spider Rotterdam in it for significant amounts of time. But yeah, Long, for longer than they should have been in it, maybe. Um, yeah. So it's a but first for him. Obviously, we'll go into that with Alex next week on our mm-hmm. next recorded. But yeah, he definitely has a good chance to show. Um, he's got number one material. Um, I think the Dutch Dutch goalkeepers are always an interesting lot because. Um, well, they're always they, tall because all Dutch people are tall. <laughs> yeah, but someday it's not even like a. It's something about them that in club play they look sort of like, you know, maybe they're a six out of ten. And I know it's something about what it is playing for the national team. Maybe gives you a bigger edge sometimes. Um, but whenever they play for the Netherlands, often they look like world beaters. And I don't know why that is. Um, 
kind of like Ochoa for Mexico. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. He's crap every other time, but as soon as he puts on that Mexico jersey, it's <laughs> a brick wall. <laughs> it's an amazing phenomenon, actually. We could probably do a whole podcast on that, on, on players who who just, in any position, who just get it for the national team. Like, yeah. Remember, some, some strikers, too. I mean, uh, like, obviously, Germany. Mm-hmm. have had them guys like Klosa and even Miller just always mm-hmm. performed much yeah. better in the national shirt or Sebastian Frey or Fry of yeah. Switzerland yeah. was kind of a non-entity at club level, but he just he every kept... single tournament is like, oh, he's still their talisman and he's yeah. scoring. He would, yeah. And it was, it's really fascinating. Um, who was the, I can't remember his name, long hair, he, I think he played for Celtics, so you might know him. Um, played for Greece. Oh, yes, uh, Giorgio Samaras. That's right. Like He was decent for Celtic, pretty decent. Yeah, he, he had his days. But um, but for Greece, he was just, I don't Cows know. Man. Yeah. Something about Something about putting on the national kit really gets people to form. Um, but yeah, so I think this one... It might actually shape up in the Netherlands' favor that a lot of French players aren't nearly in the form that they could be. Um, and they definitely have the advantage here playing at home and hopefully, you know, taking full advantage of, like, France's position, trying to get either a draw or three points out of it. So what do you think? I think I think it'll be a draw personally, but... I think so too, and that, that's kind of funny because you would... You would... Most people would probably fancy France on paper, given how they've how they've looked up to this point. But it is it is a home game for the Netherlands. They they do have a good strong squad, and um, I think they'll be fighting for it a little harder. And France are they're sitting pretty at the top of the group. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it could be like a, a score draw, like a one all something, yeah. something along those lines. Also, score France draw. have a France have a couple of players that include in like a few defenders as well, and. Um, yeah, I think it should be a well-contested game, and it's it's one of those exciting fixtures that is always like kind of a, a prelude to the tournament proper because these are the kind of nations that are going to be colliding in Germany next summer, and yeah. uh, you know they always you always look back whenever it's tournament time. There's always a bit of oh they they beat them in the qualifiers. Who's going to have the upper hand now? Yeah, and. It's interesting too. You just brought up defense, and I just remembered because Barcelona played over the weekend. Jules Kunde is out as well, mm-hmm. so he's out. Pamecano's out as well. Yeah, that puts a big damper. Um, so France is going to probably have a couple of people that need to step up, much like Netherlands as well. So we they might play the B teams. <laughs> they, they might play Griezmann at center back because he's just the sacrificial lamb, just always. <laughs> He's Always sacrificing his attacking talent for the team, and and, doing and that's that's time. why he didn't work at Barcelona, I think. <laughs> Other than the fact that Koeman was the coach. <laughs> well, but yeah, but then I think after that um, they have Greece on I think Tuesday, if that's that's right. Yep. Um, what are your predictions for that? I think I think Netherlands has a good chance to take the three points from them again. I think they will as well. I think they're. They're a better side than Greece. Greece are no mugs, but but the Netherlands are just a little bit stronger. And yeah. uh, Greece also have a a tricky away 
fixture with Ireland between now and then. And Ireland are not blessed with talent right now, but it's just a difficult it's a difficult place to go to. And yeah. again, that's probably a game that they're looking more at, like, okay, we need to get something out of this. And the Netherlands game is more of like an afterthought. Uh, so I think if the Netherlands can come through unscathed against France, you know, if they don't take a five nil hiding, then I think they'll go to go to Greece and, and take care of business. Yeah, we both may be demonstrably wrong, and France is still doing fine, and then just absolutely whoops the Netherlands tomorrow. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. We've been we've been okay at some of our predictions for games <laughs> this season, um, and, and so yeah. Do you think Do you think it's going to be France and Netherlands qualify from the group? I think so. I think um, as far as the group goes, unless the Netherlands absolutely collapses in the next couple of matches and Greece steals its way through, I'm pretty sure it's going to be France and the Netherlands. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. We've, but, we've yeah. thrown down the gauntlet to you, Greece. Cause an <laughs> upset. That's, yeah, that's when they're going to just start killing every team out there. It is also slightly expanded uh, Euros for, for next year as well. I actually forget the, the total number of teams, but it is an increase on previous previous versions. So um, it'll be nice to see some of the familiar big hitters, the kind of France and Netherlands style nations there. But, um, you know, there, there's also some shocks in there. Albania, for example, are leading, are leading a group. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, Which group are they a part of? It's... I don't know what the opposite of a, the group of death is. <laughs> the group of life, I guess. Um, Albania, Poland, Czechia, Moldova, and Faroe Islands. So, is it, is it Czech Republic? They just yes, it's Czechia. I don't know when this happened. I'm glad you you asked because I've noticed that within the last twelve months, a number of times, Czechia, um, but it was always previously the Czech Republic, as far yeah. as I was aware. Um, Anyway, they sit in third place in that group behind Poland and Albania. Um, still plenty to play for, but Albania do have a, a decent kind of uh, buffer with points there. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a surprise leader. And, uh, and also my own fair nation, uh, still leading Group A, mm -hmm. uh, Scotland uh, ahead of Spain, Norway, Georgia, and Cyprus. Um, so that's been another surprise package, although obviously we didn't pull off the win against Spain today. Um, yeah, I was going to say that. I feel like our next topic is obviously going to be some of the other matches, and specifically the Scotland-Spain game today. Um, I know we both kind of watched it in certain points. Um, obviously, there was that big call against McTominay in the 70th minute or so. I think it was around then. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. But, but for listeners that don't know, um, there was a free kick on the edge of the box. McTominay basically just blasted into the side side net, like inside part of the net. He really had a wonderful free kick, and so for a second there, it looked like Scotland had taken the lead, like stolen a stolen a goal away to Spain, and they were on their way to a three points. But um, after a VAR check, the referee. First 
said that it was a foul on the goalkeeper that one of the Scottish players had pushed them and then apparently later changed his mind to it being offside. So I, I'm of the opinion that I, I can see why it was offside as a 50-50, but it's still one of those calls that, I don't know, was a little in the air, very controversial. And what do you think? Obviously, what are your thoughts on that as the resident Scottish? Yeah, that it, it was tough for me. Obviously, there there is bias there. Uh, but it, it was kind of strange because, first of all, wonderful free kick. Sensational. Sure. Great top yeah. corner finish. Really whipped it in. We can hate the um, Manx all we want, but McTominay is <laughs> yeah. going through it right now. Yeah, I mean, he came in clutch at the weekend uh, off the bench and scored two entry time goals to, to turn the game. Uh, again, was it Brentford, uh, Manchester? Yeah. yeah, he has these little spurts where he just looks like the best player in the world <laughs> for like maybe four matches, maybe two, and then he just goes back to being his sort of development. I think his his greatest strengths are are further up the pitch. He's he's very good at timing late runs into the box, and and he has a, a good touch and a good finish um, sure. in there. But he. All his other attributes make you think he's like a, a deep lying defensive player. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I know he's a bit of a conundrum, but for Scotland, he's played further up the pitch in this campaign. It's it's worked, but yeah, he he whipped in that free kick into the top corner, and uh, I was celebrating. But with the check, okay, first they said a foul, but there there was there was Jack Hendry, I think it was. There was like an arm on the goalkeeper's chest which was really really nothing um and so i didn't think it was a foul and then if it's <clears throat> if it was offside again I, I can see it i understand how it was called but i don't really think he was he was very close to the goalkeeper but i don't think he was interfering with play as such because it was it's not like it was almost a cross that he almost got in the end of i think the height and traje- trajectory of the ball it was just fizzed into the top corner it was never yeah. going anywhere near Jack Henry, and the goalkeeper was never saving it. Nor was, nor was he in any way really trying to get towards it. He just kind of stood there and backed off into the back of his net. Uh, I thought it's it was a, poor it's goalkeeper. A very, it's a very common strategy for like, and I think it is some, somewhat accurate that goalkeepers get way too much slack to do whatever they please, and they get a mm-hmm. lot of calls for them when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in this scenario, I can see why the offside was given in that technically Henry influenced the play, quote-unquote, um, by having his hand on the goalkeeper while being in a basically a step offside position. Yeah, yeah I think I think when they showed the camera angle, he was probably probably the outside of his like three toes were offside. Yeah, yeah, the moment. And of the so I think that's why what it was. But yeah. A foul, I don't think it is. Like, I, no. it, just, I, it doesn't look like anything. His arm was outstretched as if he was positioning himself, not as a, you know, I'm just going to push off the goalkeeper. But yeah, it, it, I can see how it was given to. I didn't particularly like it. I, I can admit that there's probably some bias for me, but it's, no. he, he didn't touch it. I don't think he was interfering because it went way over everyone's head. And then also, um, I think you see this kind of thing a lot. You actually, going back to Feyenoord Atleti again, <laughs> yeah. one of the goals in that game, I think it was 
It was Morales. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a cross came in. It's somebody somebody was offside, but it didn't go to him, and it came to yeah. It's like, like oh, he didn't influence play. It's like yeah, clearly influenced play because they were fooled by it. That's yeah, like, and so if you if this exact Scotland goal, if that hadn't gone into the top corner, and somebody at the back post had made a late run and nodded it in, it would have been onside because Henry yeah. never touched it. So yeah, uh, I, I also. Would you say clear and obvious error? I don't know that I would because we're debating it here. So that that sucked. But you can't, you know, you can't reverse those decisions. So the game went on and it was still nil-nil. And uh, I had a feeling that Scotland should have changed something. And they, they didn't. And Spain scored. And yeah, uh, it, Spain had so much possession. They were They were the team that looked like winning the game. Okay, we didn't get a decision that we wanted, but the game goes on and we we lost. The second goal also was a complete, uh, you know, a slip from a, a defender for Scotland, and they they yeah. they scored a second goal that put a little gloss on a victory that wasn't quite there. One nil, sure. It was probably a one nil, but yeah, I mean that defender. Um, I think it was Ryan. Uh, Por- Ryan Porches, yeah. Yeah. Um, he had just saved an effort that from Yotalu <laughs> like right before, like a not a goal line, but like a clear goal yeah. that Yotalu would have scored, and then unfortunately was, you know, the recipient of an own goal. Yeah, um, but I thought Scotland performed well enough and uh, and and showed you know to link it back into the overall uh, picture of things. I think they can, they, they just need a point from the last couple of games. And yeah. they qualify for the Euros, and I think they can compete uh, with the because Spain are a very good team. Yeah, they're maybe not the Spain of 2010, but they're they're still a top side. Yeah, Spain of 2008 to 2012 was like the prime years of that Spain. Um, Who would you fancy in a game between Spain and the Netherlands right now? You mean right now with yeah. the squads that they do have with all the injuries and all that? Yeah. Or just full squad. Full squad, and then okay, next summer, next summer, Spain and the Netherlands meet. Honestly, I'm I've not been super impressed by De La Fuentes. Um, I think it's De La Fuentes, the coach. Um, I've not been super impressed by his line, lineups and how Spain play right now. But again, that's hard. That's really difficult because. The Netherlands, I think, might edge it out Spain because there's still a lot of players on that squad are very young. Um, not not as much like Carvajal, who should really not be playing that position anymore. Um, even though I don't think Spain has another right back right now that can take his place at the moment. Or, you know, I don't know. It's just yeah. hard when your your midfield consists of basically like they're obviously very good players, and Rodri's an extremely good player, probably the best midfielder in the world, bar Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but he's then solid. again, he's solid. But, oh yeah, I'm saying he's absolutely solid. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, like, how they have the, and I, I mentioned this to you before, and how they have their wing play set up. And I think it was just this game in particular where they had Oria. Uh, can ne- I can't ever say his name. I have to literally look at it. I'm going to go to my text and just look at it. Um, 
Oryazabal. Okay, there it is. How they had Oryazabal in, and I was like, why is this guy in the game? He's just, he's a very good player on his day, but he's he's never seemed to me like the kind of mold for a winger profile for Spain. No. And part of the thing is, too, why Spain has a lot of like quick and very talented wingers, especially, uh, I think his name is Brian. He scored an amazing goal against Barcelona over the weekend, and he just got called up. I don't know why he didn't start. I was on mute there. I was on yeah, mute. I was, he was he was talking and it was like talking through a window. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let you do the rest of the show by yourself, Ben. You're doing fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it I seems think, like a Spain side that are that are just uh, preoccupied with with keeping the ball and passing it around. And I, yeah. I know they're famed for tiki taco, but it's there should be a purpose to it, and it should be to to overload the team on a certain side. And, yeah. uh, and cut through, not just, you know, I, to, to make a du Dutch reference, I, I think some of Louis van Gaal's teams that I've seen before would have massive amounts of possession and go absolutely nowhere um, towards mm -hmm. the end of Bayern. I saw a lot it, of that. And, his Manchester United team was a lot like that too. Yeah, just just great. You, you've got it on the halfway line and you've had it for 10 minutes and you've gone nowhere. Um, yeah, and to, and to cite a, an American example, Burhalter is very <laughs> much in that vein as well, even to a, a much worse degree because um, I don't know what it is about Burhalter and all, obviously the American players, while very good, and I will support them in every way, shape, and form, are not as good as some of the European yeah. teams right now. Yeah, And so big. to watch that kind of play happen, especially with, you know, the talent and the massive ability of players on Spain, it's just, I won't say heartbreaking, but it is just, it's boring. And that's, and that's the problematic part of Spain right now is that they're in that place where Murata basically is their only goal scorer. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully they can find a way to change things up. I hope not. I hope the Netherlands can find a way to change things up and, go on and win the Euros next year. Or at, the very, or at the very least lose to Scotland in the final. Yeah, that, that's the dream for every Scottish fan. But boring, I think, is one one word that we probably won't be able to use for the, the Dutch national team. I mean, there's, there's so much quality in there right yeah. now. They're kind of spoiled with choice, especially in the, in the kind of forward areas. Um, and, I think, and I think Coleman is a, is a great manager for when he doesn't have to run a full campaign, um, a full club campaign. Yeah. Because he's very good at, I think, tinkering and like working on the fly with certain players, but to manage them over a full season, he's, he's just not a great man manager. And I think international teams have a little bit more leeway when it comes to that. Yeah, for sure. There, there, there are some guys who just that is the perfect fit for them. I, I would say Big Phil Scolari would be a great example. Scolari is definitely in that mold for sure. Got it, got it as an international manager. Although we did mention it the last time, the last international round of fixtures, um, and it's continued on this one. But uh, Liverpool's guy Ryan Ryan Gravenberg, he is uh, he has been left out again and. Kuman actually went out of his way to address it and admit that he does have a personal issue with him because he 
if you remember the last time out, he, he refused to call up for the under-21 side because he had just moved to Liverpool right at the end of the transfer window, and he kind of said he'd rather get settled than show up for international duty. Which is a, a perfectly fair thing to do. I think especially because it was an under-21 game. I would maybe understand if it were a full international, um, but it seems seems a little unfair to me to be... Uh, to to be vindictive to somebody for that, and especially that's Kuman for you. He's just a, an enigma of pettiness. <laughs> yeah, it, it. You would surely have to think if you if you choose to try and settle at your new club because he was not a success at Bayern. So yeah. if he settles at Liverpool, gets into that team, and does well, then that will be of more benefit to the national side than him not sell and not play this season um yeah but do you see that kind of situation in the future uh kind of softening a little i can i can see that happening maybe around four ma- four matches from now mm-hmm. <laughs> but i actually i have no idea because to use the same word i used earlier his Coman's personality is very mercurial as well um, he could. He obviously has grudges against certain people, especially for long amounts of time. Um, but I think this is a circumstance where he feels just more slighted than anything else. And um, I'm sure that is it. Gravenberg is that how you say his name? Again, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> There's so well, few easy. I'm just going to say Ryan. <laughs> If Ryan and I think I don't think Ryan's the kind of personality to really like no do meddling with that kind of stuff. So he'll probably he'll probably kiss the ring at some point or you know bring some you know what's a Dutch pastry um, <laughs> a stroop waffle yeah bring a stroop waffle a uh, fresh batch of stroops over to uh, <laughs> over to the Cumin residence but uh, or you know if he goes on to be an absolute superstar at yeah. Liverpool. Does the do you think the press I, pressure could play a factor? Or I've seen it before. Where, I've seen it before absolutely. where coaches actually recoil against that. You know, the more fans yeah. and media call for someone, the more they take their heels in. Well, I think it's different for the Dutch national team for Komen because when it happened for Barcelona and for other clubs he's been at, he doesn't really feel the pressure as much because he's just like, ah, it's whatever. It's not really my country or. You know, as much as I love this club, it's, you know, whatever. But this is his country. Like, this is his country he's running the national team for. And he's, you know, in the past, I would assume he's probably listened a lot. Not actually taking it actions against the press, but he's probably had his fair share of Dutch press stories that he's disliked or had commentary against. And I'm sure that if they speak about it enough... I'm fairly certain he'll probably make his mind up one way or another. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. I certainly, I see both sides of it, and I, I would like to think that the, the ice will melt, will thaw a bit, and and he can still be a part of this side, and maybe even, maybe even at the tournament next summer in Germany, which, is drawing ever closer and I can't stop looking at flights. <laughs> I think it's going to yeah. be a, a wonderful tournament. Yeah, for sure. 
But yeah. Um, so other than that, and other than you know the matches in the future, we've obviously got those to discuss with Alex next week. Uh, other football news? Anything? I, I think the big thing for me is all the talk about the new style of the World Cup, which is just uh, like abominable to even think about having to travel between what is it five or six different countries yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of that i'm not really a fan of 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 most things that are that are being outlined for the future i'm a bit of a curmudgeon don't really like change much at the best of times but usually for fifa and uefa the changes are based on greed and hyper capitalism and um it's it doesn't really excite me i kind of like things the way they are uh, also it seems they are absolutely determined to uh, to give the next World Cup after after the USA uh, to Saudi Arabia, which I think would be a big step in the wrong direction. But it's probably going to happen. Yeah, <clears throat> I I tend to agree. Um, I think the main issue is I understand trying to bring in countries that want to establish themselves sports wise on the national stage and Saudi Arabia did fairly well in the tournament beating mm -hmm. Argentina in the first match um, which was a real you know monkey's paw for them because they basically let they basically gave Argentina the fire it needed to go and win the World Cup yeah but, much like Spain and in, in, uh, 2010 they were beaten by uh, by Switzerland in the opening yeah, game I was gonna say it was Switzerland um, but on that point, I think Saudi Arabia as a as a nation, um, not what I would consider a overly welcoming place for all parties involved, especially those who drink, those who are you know not necessarily um, within the good graces of the Saudi government. It's yeah, I would hate to say that, that any country couldn't couldn't have a World Cup. I mean it's it is the World Cup and, and so it is great to to move it around and you know we've seen it in Brazil and South Africa in recent years and um But the thing is it just it stinks so much of sports washing now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really does. It's like you're buying a world let's be honest, you know. How did yeah. Qatar how did Qatar get that World Cup? suitcases of money and it was yeah. quite literally found yeah i don't think it was i don't think it was um actual suitcases of money but it was something along those lines where it's like some version of bribes i uh, um, I, I will say though the the football action the qatar world cup was excellent it was a it very was. very solid world cup there was pretty good refereeing by fifa standards um Great storylines, great drama, and probably the best ever final as yep. well. Um, so football action was was excellent. Um, and that's the problem, I think, with that World Cup is that the executives at FIFA took that as like, oh, so then, you know, this should be okay to do this elsewhere. Um, it's just, it's problematic well, because I'll be, of... I'll be out there reporting, recording this podcast that the moment the saudis give me a call and offer me that mega contract i will reject anything else i've previously said and 
All the talk about hypercapitalism gone, gone down the drain. Gone, gone. Um, Will you be signing for uh, Al Nasser's uh, PR division at that point? Uh, I just don't. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could go there to them with him. Not my, not my cup of tea. No. <laughs> uh, I'll be uh, a sucker for the World Cup wherever it is, and I'll watch. But I... did you see? Did you see that picture of Ronaldo holding the? Uh, I think it. I think it was the one of the, either the the Saudis version of a cup trophy or their league trophy. I don't know some trophy that he was holding, and he just looked so full of glee and wonder. And then I, I didn't see that, but that, it's been a while since he won a trophy. So congratulations. Yeah, and it was funny because yeah, the only reason that popped up at all for me is that my football Twitter thinks that um that i want to see every like messi stan account or ronaldo stan <laughs> account and i'm like well i don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. first of all um but then i just watched the, the the obvious messi ronaldo argument unfold where the ronaldo stands were saying hey look there's ronaldo with the trophy and messi doesn't have one and then messi stands came back with probably the best response that well the other trophy that messi has and it was the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a punctuation mark right in the end of that argument. I, and it, it's it's just really bad following both of them. And it, I'm kind of glad that it's going to start tapering down as soon as you know. It I think it's tapered down right now because they aren't at Real and Barcelona anymore. It was definitely yeah. The, then the careers but, are dwindling down as well. So yeah. And I think Messi is more than content to play the like dad role of like I don't really need to do anything too difficult. No, I mean he's the best player in on the continent without having to break a sweat. So he and he and he played like that anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. Well, any well, final next, thoughts? It's going to be Noah Lang's turn next. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then. Obviously, there was talk about uh, Messi and Ronaldo's throne being um, set back because Bellingham is the one that's going to take that place. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, guys. Uh, okay, I think that, that's enough for me. <laughs> In fact, no, I can't end on that note. <laughs> no. Um, but we will end on the note that this was a wonderful podcast to do without Alex, and we should do it more often. Yeah, it was a fun break. And uh We'll be back to the Eredivisie before you know it. Uh, excuse us for not going over whatever it would have been, 12 games uh, yeah. between the two of us. Um, but looking forward to this international break. If you're a Netherlands fan, give us a shout out at Total Football on X or Instagram. Uh, listen to the show. Let us know what you think. And uh, if you really, really, really missed Alex, let us know. Um, he was over in Amsterdam in talks about replacing Morris Stein should a call be made, but we can <laughs> rip him back here uh, to this podcast if necessary. Honestly, I think he could do a better job. <laughs> With those players? <laughs> they might be above, what are they at, 11th, 13th? No, they're, they're, they're 16th out of 18th. Oh, so, God, a welcome break for me not talking about that on this yeah. show. Well, thanks, everyone. And obviously, give us your thoughts, as Neil said. And we'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye.